I love camp meeting. It's so good to be here tonight. Thank the Lord for his spirit and for his blessing and a wonderful opportunity to be here with y'all tonight. I'm just so humbled to be here. I'm just happy to be among you. And um, But I'm thankful to feel his spirit in my heart tonight. I'm just what we're singing about, what we're talking about tonight, and the is is a gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why this all takes place. But um, I so enjoyed the presentation we had a while ago, and I also realized that you folks have been sitting here for quite a little while. And I'm going to try my uh, to uh, honor that and not to encroach too much on your patience. But the the. Preaching of the gospel, I want to tell you a little bit about the gospel that they preached when they were um, got started and made their travelings. Because the doctrine of sanctification is bigger than Christ's sanctified holy church. It's bigger than those that group of people and even bigger than Methodism. It's bigger than the United States. It is bigger than just this island of time, if you could encapsulate the whole world. But I believe that the entirety of all human history, that, that God has been working and moving to bring this about. It was from the very beginning, God's plan to restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Yes. And if you really believe that and you really genuinely experience that, it is something so dramatic, an event is going to have to have an equally dramatic effect on the people whom it affects. I'm going to begin reading tonight in the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 1. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Right. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not 
to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But if him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, let him that he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I'd like especially to call your attention to verse 22 through 24. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. I believe in this text, um, if if you're just reading this as an epistle to the Corinthians, the Jews would represent the religious community of their time. And the Greeks would represent the Gentiles, the secular world. And it's no different tonight. So as this evening, as we read this, we need to understand the Jews require a sign. What he's talking about is not necessarily the nation of Israel, but he's talking about the religious community. The Greeks seek after wisdom. So in this text, that represents the secular world. That's the intellectual community. The, the, that's, that's everything that, that is secular. So, but, but what it says, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews. That is a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. So when you apply the cross of Christ with the natural mind, you, uh, uh, even if you want to go the intellectual route of, of secularism, you realize that the cross of Christ to them is foolishness. To the natural mind, it does not make any sense. It's so contrary to the ways of the world, you can't really understand it. You say, okay, well, well God loved mankind and he gave himself for us and it was because of his love. But, but the natural man cannot, cannot comprehend that in its entirety and its foolishness to them. Because what he's talking about when he says the cross is not specifically the cross that Jesus Christ hung on, but it is the cross that comes to each and every person that seeks God. And if you're going to have ever be sanctified and experience this thing we've been talking about, you must yeah. bear a cross. Yeah. And one hymn writer wrote those words, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No. There's a cross for everyone. And there is a cross for me. This is the stumbling stone to the Jews. The religious community believes that the cross was Jesus hanging in, in, on Golgotha. They cannot get past this process. They require a sign, something tangible, something natural, something they can see. If I was to, you go to university and you, uh, work for a number of years, get a degree, you got a diploma. And if you go to a a doctor's office or something somewhere where you've been required a degree that's usually hanging up so you can see it there's the proof i went to the school that's my sign right here yeah i can it's tangible it's something because you can't how else would you be very difficult to prove otherwise and so that is the natural man's approach to the gospel Something tangible, something I can do, some work I can do, some membership I can become. Give me the list and and I'll do it. What's it going to cost me? And to the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. That's right. Wisdom of the world, figuring it all out. 
sciences and, and intellectual pursuits and all kinds of philosophy and vain deceit. They're seeking after the thing that the same thing the Jews are seeking after all along unto us, Christ is made wisdom and sanctification and redemption. He becomes all of those things to us that believe it is the power of God. I was thinking, I believe that there is something, um, Wait, I got a couple more verses. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. I was, um, I didn't think I was going to read this, but I'm going to, I read this just recently and it's, um, it's amazing to me. When you go back and understand, I, there's a lot of things that took place between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I don't really know what they are. I'll be honest with you. There's a period of time that the prophets stopped writing. And then we encounter a time when Christ comes into the world. But I believe that every single thing that happened on the face of this earth in the realm of men, in the kingdoms of men, was preparing the way for God to send His Son. The Scripture tells us when the fullness of time was come. And all of these things were working together to bring about the circumstances that would bring Jesus Christ into the world. He could have sent Him as soon as Adam and Eve had transgressed in the garden. He could have redeemed man as soon as he had cast him out of the Garden of Eden. He didn't do that. It was a long time. It, uh, we wouldn't understand. Obviously, we understand that God took his time because there's no way we could possibly comprehend. We're doing our best to do it now with, with, with all of this. But there would never have been a Moses. There would never, we wouldn't understand Noah and the ark. We wouldn't understand... All of these, uh, we wouldn't have any of this to help us understand. It's all pointing to Christ. It's all talking about Christ. During the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Babylonian empire is now the superpower of the world. It is the largest economy. It is by far the biggest kingdom. It is a military juggernaut. It is on top of the world. And pretty much all kingdoms are either at peace with it or they're subdued by it. It is in its pinnacle and in its prime. And this man who is the monarch of this kingdom has a dream. Yep. And in this dream, he, he wakes up and he's so troubled, but he can't remember what it was. Calls his astrologers, calls his magicians, and they all come in. And his wise men, eventually he's, they don't have any answers for him. He's of a mind to kill them all. And Daniel comes in and says, let, let me... Get, let me let me go to pray about it. Let's give us a chance. And what he said is, I just want to read you what he said. The secret was revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou now hast made known unto us the king's matter. And I'm, in the interest of time, I'm not going to read that. But let me tell you exactly what the king dreamed. He saw a great image. This great image, the head of fine gold. 
arms of silver, then a, a brass, and then legs of iron. And his feet were iron mixed with miry clay. And then he sees, as he's beholding this tremendous image, a stone. Yeah. Yeah. Cut out of a mountain. Not without hand. And it begins to roll. And roll. And roll. And it smites the image at its feet. The image completely collapses. It not only does it collapse, the stone completely obliterates everything. It's totally gone. It, the stone itself, becomes a great mountain. How about it? And the king can't understand what this means. And this is what Daniel is telling him. Thou art this head of gold. And this was the Babylonian kingdom. And behind thee there will rise another kingdom. The scriptures teach us about that. There's a man named Cyrus, king of Persia. And he begins, rises another tremendous nation. Military might and a cavalry that would overtake that of Babylon. This is the cycle of human history. Conquest. <clears throat> And after Babylon would come another kingdom. And I believe that was the Greeks. And then, in the process of time, would rise another kingdom. And they had their capital city was in Rome. And the scripture is telling us, and it said, And this kingdom was of part iron and part clay. The kingdom would be divided. And in the days of this kingdom... The Lord God of heaven was going to set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed. The great economical juggernaut of Babylon was long gone. Persia, the pride of Persia, gone. Greece, its architecture. And Brother Ty could tell you a lot more about that than I could. And Rome and its multitude of powerful emperors. And Brother Brian could tell you more about that than I could. All would be gone crushed under this kingdom and so but so what hap- what what transpires is because i don't know what happened in the middle but i know when we turn over to the gospel of saint luke i know that about 49 bc there was a roman general named julius caesar who launched a revolt against the the republic of rome and that brought an end to this republic. This is the division the scripture was talking about. The Roman Republic was gone and now the, the, a little bit of transition during his life and the time of the emperors would come. The very first emperor, Julius Caesar, was killed. Y'all know the story. And after his death, he left all the power that he had accumulated to a young man named Octavian. This would become the new Caesar. They called him Caesar after his predecessor. And this would be kind of like the Egyptians had pharaohs. The the Roman monarchs were called Caesars. And his name was Caesar Augustus. Well, the Gospel of Luke teaches us that in the days, it came to pass that in the days of Caesar Augustus, that there went out a decree that all the world should be taxed. Well, this is no small coincidence. What I'm trying to tell you is that every event that has ever occurred is pointing to Christ. It is bringing His resurrection to life. It is bringing His resurrection, making it available to people. It's God's redemption for mankind. And there was a young young man and a young lady espoused to be married. They were of no reputation, of no significance, while all these men of power and might were doing all, conquering the world. 
way down, like God's looking way down, like the water that, that, that finds the bed that is lowly. He's looking and he finds a young couple. Yeah. And the angel comes. With good hearts. Mary, thou art highly favored. Blessed art thou among women. And he told Joseph, Thou shalt bring forth a son. Call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. That's what it was all about. That's why there was ever a Babylon. That's why there was ever a Persia. That's why Cyrus sent Nehemiah back to build the walls. That one day, Jesus Christ was going to come to the world. I want to go, let, me, let me read you this. I love this verse in chapter 3. All right. Shortly after that, y'all know the child was born. That's it. Okay, a few people in his family knew. Nobody else knew. Rome went on. They didn't, every, they weren't even thinking about some little province of Judea who is slave of, that they had conquered and is often, they, they had bigger plans than that. They had other things. They were, they were, it, they were ruling the world. And Augustus passed away. And if I'm not mistaken, he passed away in the eighth month, and that's why we call it August. His, his predecessor was named Tiberius. It would be another Caesar who had come along named Tiberius. Chapter 3, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea, and the reign of Trachonitis and Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Now, you can go back in history and find... the names of all these men, big, powerful men, Caesars, governors, powerful member. And the word of the Lord came to, to John in the wilderness, the son of Zacharias, a man of no mean, just a young Levite. He had no, he, he was, he had no money. He had no wealth. He had no political influence and the word of God came to him. This is God's way. This is the way he's always done. It's an humble way, a weak way, because why the wisdom of God is, is, is the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. So he uses weak things, base things, things that are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 10. Um, and this is, we find this scripture here. So, Apostle Paul reading, uh, writing to the Romans, he's writing in this particular case about his brethren, the Jews. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, I think we can make a very easily make an application today from this text. They being ignorant of God's righteousness go about to establish their own righteousness. I don't care if you believe the Bible. You may reject this outright as God's word, or you may just be a skeptic. Maybe you are, uh, you know, following, chase, pursuing wisdom through the secular intellectual world. I don't know. But even if that's the case, and you totally outright reject God's word, well, 
You still believe that something is right, something is wrong. Should be a way. There, there is some basis of morality somewhere. So, what is the basis? Yep. Right. Where does it come from? If this is not true, and if God is immoral and unjust, or if He's evil, as some would say, or if God is not, it doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Okay. If you took this and did away with it. Then what's right and wrong? Then who are you to tell who uh, someone else who thinks That's right. terrible atrocities are okay? That's right. Yeah. There's no basis for morality. That's right. That's right. So if you accept that there is a moral law well, that we all tend to understand, you have to acknowledge that somebody gave that law. That law was made by someone. There had to be a lawgiver. And that lawgiver, of course, we know is Jesus Christ. You can't find it's the, the, the pursuit around trying to explain all of these things just leads you to a dead end when you try to eliminate God's word. These are another more reasons. Brother Gary was talking this morning about the truth of God's word. See, that's what I'm saying. The Jews require a sign. They prove it to me. How do you know? I get, I get that question a lot. Prove it to me, God's word. Well, let me, let me continue. All right. When you were reading this this morning, when you were reading this morning on faith, I, that was beautiful, by the way. And I, I thought about this text. <clears throat> what saith it? Talking about the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So the Jew and the Greek, the same Lord is rich unto all, and he is over all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is the message we have been preaching these 125 years. That what all this is about is to save you from sin. That's what God came for. That's why Jesus ever came. So when he says that you'll, you'll be saved, it's not just saying saved from hell. Yes, you'll be saved from hell, but you'll be saved from sin. Amen. <coughs> this is the message that we're interested in preaching to you tonight. Yes. I want to give you another, um, I want to give you another passage of scripture from the book of Philippians. <clears throat> Again, the cross is a stumbling block. And to some, it's just foolishness. Brethren, be followers therefore of me, writing with Philippians, and mark them which walk, so as you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. And Sister Joanna just mentioned that. That the things which ought to be a shame are actually pronounced and glorified as 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 normal and, and great and wonderful. And aren't you proud? And according to God's scripture, these are the things whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Well, this is what 
brothers and sisters, this is the cross of Christ. I want you to understand every time he's mentioned this here, when he says that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, it didn't mean that they were the people that actually hung him up there, that they were the people who were the mob that, that lynched him. It wasn't like that's not what he's talking about. But Jesus said that if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, his cross, his cross daily and follow me so that every day if you are a believer and you have been genuinely sanctified there is a cross for you to bear it's not just skate free and jesus paid for my sins and i have no obligation and i'm free and i can do what i want to do and praise the lord this is a false doctrine. It's completely inconsistent with Scripture. And when you apply it to the text and the his content of history, it doesn't even make sense. But what does make sense to me is that if Jesus Christ was, go- if God was going to prepare the entire world as He did for the coming of His Son, and in fact, it's inter- I I love the fact too that it was not even possible for a Jewish man to be crucified under the law. So for all those thousands of years, there was no crucifixion of Jews. It took a number of tremendous world events to bring, bring about this possibility that a man could be tried by the state, condemned, and hung on a cross to be crucified. And it happened right before Jesus came into the world. This can't be coincidence. This is too... God has been working all these years. Why did he do all this stuff? It's for you tonight. It's it's for sanctification. That is what has made the church prosper. That is what makes the preaching powerful. Because he's giving us something real. Something that actual works. It'll change your life. It's not, it changes your heart from the inside out. You're not just, it's, it's not some work I can do. Some book I can sign. And I've got that taken care of. Like you would... Fill out your will. All right, I finally got that taken care of. And that's done. So that when I die, I've got my will done. Sanctification is not that way at all. Jesus Christ wants to fill and live with you. Enemies of the cross. And I got to get, I'm going to give you one more passage going back to Corinthians and I'll, I'll wind this, bring this to a close. Now, this is talking about, uh, if I give you the context, I'm going to take too long. He's talking about Moses, all of our fathers that were under the cloud and passed through the sea. First Corinthians chapter 10, they um, did eat the same spiritual meat. They did drink the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye. Again, this, did, did you notice that, by the way? He said, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted. Well, he's talking about the people in the wilderness. Christ hadn't come yet. How were they tempting Christ? He was there. Yes, he was. Because he was there. <laughs> what I'm telling you is everything, as far back as you want to go, was pointing to this. Amen. 
Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that standeth Take heed lest he fall. The ends of the world are come upon us. We need to recognize that taking, being sanctified is not like getting a new job. It's not like engaging in a career. It's not a direction and a way I'm going to live my life. It's not a lifestyle. We are in entering into a, a tra- the work of God that has been going on throughout a tremendous span of time back from the very beginning and forever will. It is the biggest event that's ever happened into the world. And the, the, th- the reason it's a stumbling block is because you can't see it. You can, it's not tangible. But it's more real. Did you know the unseen world is more real than the seen world because the seen world was created by the unseen world these things are not this is not if you want to chase intellectual pursuits go for it you're welcome to you can go down that road i'm gonna tell you it just winds in circles of the making of many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh But let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Especially you young people. Don't waste your life. Don't throw away the opportunity that God has given you. Chasing endless intellectual pursuits. Or chasing your own pleasure. Which is even worse. Because that leaves you on this little island of time. Of of just a few 75 years. And then you're done and gone. And your soul is lost forever. For what? Just for a few pleasures? When you... You have an opportunity God has given us through His Word to engage. This is what these people got a hold of 125 years ago. They plugged into some power. And it so transformed their life that they saw it wasn't that they were just poor and didn't care. They had something of more value than all the things, their earthly possessions. It was an easy decision. It wasn't a tremendous sacrifice in the hardships they endured. Let me ask you one more question, and I'll leave you with this. Especially if you have, maybe some of you have come to camp meeting and you haven't felt so good in your spirit. Some of you who are sanctified. Or maybe you're holding on to a profession that's been just long cold. I recently read in Hebrews 11, women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us. So do you think that all the prophets would have endured tremendous suffering and given their life for just an experience that hardly save you from temptation when you're by yourself? Right. No. Right. It just doesn't make sense. 
God's power is real. Yes, it is. Yes. Amen. And you need to be realistic about the experience you've got. I don't believe in half in just a casual Christianity. No, it's right. unscriptural. It's yes, not it there. Right. These people were alive. They'd given their life to God. They were because they were possessed of a power of something inside that, that was beyond their own ability. And that's how a fish, a few fishermen and a tax collector and a couple of common men who had no influence and no wealth could, could, could just begin to preach and knock down all the political barriers and bring the gospel of, to the world. And they did it and God blessed them and he's been doing it ever since. This is your opportunity. This is your availability. While the congregation stand, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you are serious about your soul... Come pray. If you're not serious, just stay in your seat.